Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, I'm pleased to have Nancy K. Pearson here. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, well, I'm gra- glad you could um, work it in to the schedule, because you're visiting Ann Arbor to read at Shaman Drum. I am, uh, yes. And um, and we're speaking on the, the 5th of December, 2008. Um, so hopefully some of the listeners have had a chance to, to hear you in person um, when you were reading at the bookshop. That's actually tomorrow. I'm reading at the Shaman Drum tomorrow. So I hope, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully people, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it's kind of tricky when we have these these uh, taped shows and then there's, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that I, <laughs> I don't know where, you know, That's where okay. I am right now. <laughs> it's like, it, it's always like that. I feel like we're, yeah, don't, I do it all the time, Nancy, and then talk about it for 20 minutes of the program. So we won't do that this time. <laughs> um, so um, just to begin, I'm going to read your biography here, Nancy, and then we'll, we'll kind of fill in some, some of the other stuff Great. that... Um, Afterwards, Nancy K. Pearson, originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee, received her MFA from George Mason University. Recently, she completed two seven-month poetry fellowships at the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. An avid runner and cyclist, she now lives on Cape Cod with her partner. And Nancy is in town with her book, her first book, or your first collection, Nancy. That's right. Two Minutes of Light um, from Perugia Press. So right. Just out this year. Just out, yes, this summer. It's a, it's a beautiful book, too. Thank you. It, I'm very happy with it. The press did a great job. And it's uh, Susan Can is the editor and founder of the press. That's right. She? Yes. She, it's a small press, and um, the book award is for women poets for their first or second collection. Because the point is to be early in the career of the poet. Right, to in, yeah, encourage emerging, emerging writers. And um, she's very fun to work with. And um, she really let me uh, do a lot of the designing and, and whatnot for the book, the cover. You really? Know. So the color, how, the photo, the colors? and Everything, really. I picked the cover. Um, and the, the artist is actually a uh, Tasmanian painter named Damien um, Bumgartner. Oh, and so was it um, a, a work, uh, like an artist that you, meant a lot to you? And so there was Not a... Not really. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I came across uh, this painting. I'd been searching for, you know, images, and I thought I was going to go with a you know, black and white photo, of, you know, um, by someone that I actually know. And, and then I found this painting, and it really spoke to me. And so he's a, an emerging artist, so I was happy to... To oh, use his work, yes, yeah. yeah, and and two minutes of light is is a line that comes from one of your your poems, right, right. And and was that something that was said, or was that something that you found when you were when after your book was awarded the prize and you were working with Susan Can or? Yeah, the book was actually it, it went through many different titles. I think the first round was silver bimbo mudflap songs which is a, another poem and i can barely you know say it without <laughs> mispronouncing it and some people really loved that title and others just really hated it they were like oh to kentucky fried southern or whatever um and then it was needle girls which that's another poem again that's kind of rough it's a harsh kind of a harsh title so this this unless it was about cross stitch and which is, 
Interestingly enough, yes, there's a Nancy Pearson who's a famous cross-stitcher, so that would have messed everyone up. Maybe I would have gotten more sales that way, though. (laughs) And some interesting feedback, some letters, maybe. Exactly. Where are the patterns in this book? Right, right. (laughs) Well, you'd have to, there's poetry patterns here. (laughs) But Two Minutes of Light, it seems like a really beautiful title. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, you know, the idea is that in the poem, um, Two Minutes of Light is what we gain every day after the solstice. And so it's a hopeful title. Um, And I wanted the title to be hopeful because ultimately the book is about hope. It seems to have an arc that leads to the redemption, sort of. Or is that too heavy-handed? Well, (laughs) redemption, maybe not. I would like to to think that... um, the speaker's still pretty human and not redeemed, but <laughs> it, it aims towards that. And in, in fact, a lot of the poems that I'm trying to write now are, have nothing to do with redemption. They're just kind of about being in the world and making mistakes and just kind of how we just live with our mistakes. And we're, we're neither redeemed nor ruined by them. But this book, I think, does have more of an arc of, of redemption and well, you, no, you don't grace. have to say that if you don't, if I'm totally. No, off you're things. right. You're right. I think I want my uh, newer poems not to be about redemption. So um, when I look back at these, I, I see that I see that they are a lot about grace and hope. And when so when you went to Provincetown, w- what if the what was your working manuscript at the time? And because uh, two fellowships, that's that's a. a a big amount of time that you're spending there and and producing work. And so what was what was the state of the poems when you got there and the, I had a handful of po- poems that I wrote in grad school at George Mason. And when so you say a maybe handful, half truly a handful or probably for the MFA where you were required to have a a bunch of them, but mm-hmm. a handful that you felt were true. Or? Exactly. I you know, I had 30 poems um from my, I guess my thesis that I brought with me and I weeded those out and I rewrote and rewrote and wrote new poems. So there's a lot of old material in here that's just kind of the framework of, of what it was. Um, and I, I, I'm a huge reviser. I really believe in revising. So there are maybe five poems that haven't been revised much since grad school, but the the two years um, in Provincetown, most of that time I wrote new stuff and revised. And that became part of Two Minutes of Light. That's then. right. That's I right. See. So that would be the influences more of, of the sea then, like the opening poem with the crabs. Yeah. Is that it? Or mm-hmm. Well, the, the, the opening poem, actually, it's, it's an interesting kind of cycle. My life's kind of started, my good childhood memories and whatnot um, are centered around the sea. My father used to take us to the Outer Banks and um, of North Carolina, and we spent a lot of time in the ocean. And then, you know, I ended up moving back to the sea on Cape Cod. So they're both, you know, the present and and the past. And and so, um, so the beginning, well, let's see. Um, with the, it's part of the way you structured the book, Nancy, is it that you, you are, because you open with these the images from the sea, and then but then it, it shifts quite dramatically. Um, and I think we have um, well soon. There's the silver bimbo mud flap song right, poem that comes right. in, and so um, you're, it seems like the speaker is there in the childhood immediately, and then that's the progression through the book is is the growth literally 
um, of this the persona. When you're writing, is this is this confessional poetry, or how would you? I mean, it's a good question. Yeah, or, um, or narrative, or right. Is I there a persona? <laughs> It's it's hard to I think it's hard for me to classify my own work. Um, when I hear confessional, I start, I, and I think a lot of people feel like that's a bad thing. Or have um, some hives or so. Yeah, I start to get hives, and <laughs> <laughs> they think, oh no, she's going to off herself, or you know, they think of Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton, whom I love, and they were big influences. Um, but I think they, a lot of people don't give. Um, they don't take it seriously, um, that genre. Although Lowell was a great confessional poet. Um, so, you know, Snodgrass as well. So I think they are confessional. Um, and I think, um, the lyric eye is, is pretty true. Within your work, you're saying with the eye is your, these poems are autobiographical is that uh, they are somewhat yeah autobiographical they have been um settings have been changed or uh, things have been embellished or taken away and there are some um some instances where i'm more like a fly on the wall watching things happen but i was there so um so i don't i don't think they're narrative necessarily although i think the book does tell a story um but some of them, I think, are a little more meditative. the 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 book itself seems like it's a traveling book as well. Like the, um, the the I, <laughs> um, our our narrator of that, because it seems like the voice is a constant throughout the entire. It book is, yeah, too. it really is. And so this, but this voice travels then from the south, where you would think like Tennessee, more of the the deep south. Is that yeah, fair I, to say? Uh, yeah, I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in the deep south. Um, and my family on my father's side, they're all from like Hoboken, Georgia, you know, way near the Okefenokee Swamp. So, in there. Yeah, in, in there. Right and in I, there. you know, I've moved a thousand times. I hate to say it, but I've moved a lot in my life, you know. <laughs> so they. It's that Sagittarian quality coming That's up. right. We had discussed that, <laughs> right. Um, right be- before we went on the air. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, and then you, so this also, so you were in, um, Tennessee, but then you've also, you, there's a move in the poems out West. Right. I lived in San Francisco for a little while. I mean, I lived in Littleton, Colorado and sold books door to door for, for one summer, but sold books. Yeah. What kind of encyclopedias or encyclopedia study guides? Yeah. I even went to sales school. Really? Terrible. (laughs) Absolutely terrible. It sounds like... (laughs) It sounds kind of great, too, though, in a way. Was it terrible because it was just like walking, having to talk with people door yeah, to door? Yeah, my, um, my manager it was one of those pyramid scheme things, and my manager would drop me off in a neighborhood at 6 in the morning, and I would start knocking on doors then. Now, I don't know anyone who wants their door knocked on at 6 in the morning with some little face going, Hi, I'm from Virginia, and I, I've come to your neighborhood to show you some study guides. That's pretty much what I had to do. So at six a.m. At six a.m. Yeah, I'm surprised you're still around to tell this tale. I am too. I ended up in a psychiatric hospital that summer. Really? (laughs) It really pushed me to my limit. Well, I could see why. I mean, because you're dealing with people in like the parts of humanity 
like in their oh, most it was, vulnerable. It was unreal. <laughs> and I'm really laid back. I'm not really a, a salesman, sales. no. So I, I was in debt. I, you know, I needed to pay off my American Express and thought this was a good idea. Some quick money with yeah. the study guides. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, not well, a good idea. You're here to tell us that it's it's not the quick way to easy money, but maybe poetry is. <laughs> yeah, poetry is definitely the quick way, quick and easy, big bucks. We'll, we'll uh, take a short break, Thanks. and then Nancy will come back and hear a couple of poems. If Sounds good. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm Tietzel. We'll be back. Now that I've met you, would you object to never see? each other again Cause I Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, Nancy K. Pearson. Um, so, and we're here, we're talking about Nancy's first collection, Two Minutes of Light, published this year, this summer, by Perugia Press. Um, so, Nancy, you've got a poem on deck for us. I do. I sure do. So, shall I just read it? That would be great. Okay. Um, to the high school prom queen. There's just one highway. The wind rears up like a circus beetle. The setting sun hangs purple tags on the mountains. 
as if night were for sale too. Las Vegas tilt a wheels its neon legs towards the desert, humming seamstress of broke down and writs, tacking embroidery floss and velvet swag on everything. You are there in the Women's Correctional Institute, sleeping on a cot in a former storage closet. Miles away, snow wriggles through dune and pine. Pork chops thaw in my sink. Potatoes boil on the stove. You, behind a bar pole of st stars sky-wandering and homeless without the concrete hooks of a city. You on the streets, cash-wadded and meth-loaded. You, knocking out someone's teeth. Dear friend, I have finally stopped trying to kill myself. Sometimes the light comes in tiny points, shark-toothed and smaller than stars. Sometimes it sprays over everything. Every day my scars shrivel up, lids of rain in a garbage can. Once I wanted to travel. Now I'm in love with the way whole Saturdays weigh on my back with laminate flooring and wood piling. My girlfriend and I throw chops on the grill. Fat floats above the trees. Shaken, sometimes the stars, the pine needles spiral gracefully. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome. Um, the poem that you, you chose to read, that I love the lines where... Um, uh, yeah, yeah, where are they? Because I had them marked... Um, well, the shark tooth, that those lines where it's the light with the shark teeth. I don't know why I'm having a hard time. I've dog-eared too many of your poems here, so I, <laughs> I have can't quite flip too. to it like I was thinking I was cool enough to do. Here it is. All right. Why would I think that? Yeah, the, sometimes the light comes in tiny points. There's the shark tooth and smaller than stars. Lids of rain in a garbage can. Those are wonderful images, too. This poem was actually, um, you know, I think there's so much of, of me, you know, in the book. But this poem was actually to the high school prom queen, in fact. <laughs> you weren't joking. Um, no, I wasn't joking. Um, she was a couple years older than I am, one of my very best friends, and just ended up on the streets. And um, in Tennessee, there in Chattanooga. Yeah, in Chattanooga. Okay. Um, and she's actually, luckily, she's fine now. But you know, for a while, she was in in jail for lots of different reasons, and out in Las Vegas. And you know, practically, you know, she was destroying herself slowly um, but surely. And um, you know, in a way, so was I in different ways, and some somewhat, you know, the same too. So I wrote this for her, and then again, you know, also for myself. Um, Has, do you know if she's read it? Is this something? Um, the, the something that I don't know. I mean, the book came out a couple months ago, and um, she just had a baby. So <laughs> I thought I'd wait to show her this poem, um, but I hope she's read it. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's wonderful where you also, you have that moment where it's the... Um, cash wadded and meth loaded you knocking out someone's teeth that's right and then you move to dear friend which right. is really great she is a dear friend so yeah. and she did knock out so much she did in okay. fact i mean that's quite the story she um knocked out a, a officer or a cop's you know teeth and um 
Is she a is she a big prom queen? No, she's oh. tiny. She's your typical blonde haired, like, you know, size zero petite tan. Okay, okay. <laughs> but she is tough, man. She is tough, right? And in 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 some ways, that must have that's what got her through too. Yeah, so that's, that's right. That's and so right. and so, you have another poem um, that you begin with the two. I think it's two. Is it two worlds? Um, where you're you're also talking about the number of suicides in England slowed between sixty three and seventy five. Mm-hmm. Um, because of a removal of carbon monoxide, reading from your quote from the public gas supply. So this idea, it seems like part of what you're concerned with is you, you said like the, the prom queen, uh, these these women, um, presumably more women probably than men for the home, like killing themselves. Right. And, um, this concern. Uh, and you said you, you felt like in the, the poems as well that you were also um, destroying yourself in mm-hmm. different ways. Um, what are, what do you find in there? Like, is that something that you feel like is a condition of the time for, for women or something that was happening maybe in the, okay, in the South? I know that's not England, obviously, but. um, Well, I have, I have a lot of theories about that, but, um, several things happened, I think in the eighties and the nineties. Um, there was, first of all, a lot of awareness about, Things like childhood abuse and domestic violence, and that came, you know, that was publicized instead of being something that people didn't talk about anymore. Right, it existed, right. but and no one... people started talking about that, and so I think people's um, ways of dealing with that was they'd always been dealing um, with these kinds of issues. Um, like in the poem "Needle Girls," you know how yeah. these women. Um, in you know centuries ago were putting needles in their skin and that was a form of self-injury um and so i think you know the book is pretty preoccupied with self-injury and i think it became more people became more aware of it once um the other taboo subjects you know were outed i also think though women in the 90s there was a sort of this thing um, that happened where women were diagnosed and diagnosed and diagnosed with various kinds of um, disorders, you know, multiple personality disorder, you know, you name it, and put in hospitals in droves. And I think this created a sort of um, sickness. Um, it didn't didn't create the sickness, but it kept people very sick. And... um, I noticed um, the people around me, myself included, we were, suddenly we, we became patients instead of college students or women, you know. And um, so there was a lot of good things happening. Things were coming out in the open. Um, people were understanding that there was a lot of, you know, there needed to be a lot of healing. But there was also this sort of once you identify with an illness, then sometimes I c- you carry that around. Then you're saddled and with it rather than are, it being yeah. naming it and having some control over right, it. It right. becomes something. That's it felt really out of control. Um, and in some of the hospitals, you know, there were 10, 20 women being diagnosed with MPD, multiple personality disorder. And that's a really rare disorder. And so it was a fad. And 
so was kind of self-injury and you know it was all around me and that's in this book I I think it's Yes. Yeah. That, Did I even answer your question? I think so. <laughs> so oh, way in many the... ways. Okay. In many, yes. Well, because there's a line from the poem where I think, um, uh, let's see, from thought thinking itself. That's uh, a weird title, isn't it? I don't. I don't know about that title. But yeah, there is a. There no, is I like a, it. Oh, That's, good. Yes. But if you think, yeah, why is it weird? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm not happy with all my titles yet, but there's nothing I can do about it now, is there? <laughs> but yeah, there is a line. Um, After a month on a psych ward, doctors discovered I had 15 personalities. Mm-hmm. I, I was 20. I made them all up. This is a true story. Um, the, the, the This is a true story is, is always something people you know, comment on, like, why'd you put this is a true story in a line in your work? And is, and is it a true story? And it's, I'm not sure. What do you want to say about that? It is a true story. And why I put it in there, I think, is to raise question um, about truth and what, what are stories and what's truth and kind of mix it up a little bit in to actually raise that as as a, as a question in the poem, but yes, because in some ways it either makes it more true what's right there, or it throws into it, you, it makes you question ev- everything. Right. In some ways. Right. right. Exactly. It's a, it's a little trick, but, but it, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. But it's also, I think, in some ways, trying to talk to the doctors that were so sure that they had some sort of truth. Right. 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 So. Right. And you know, we were all pretty much lying to our doctors. In a way, why we, was that? I wonder. Well, it's what I they think wanted if the doctor, if a doctor says, "Listen, you know, you have this disease, and we know how to cure it," you want to believe that you have it, because you they, want to be cured. You want to be cured. Some, yeah, of something. Of something, right? You want to feel better. And if there's, you know, if someone's like, "You're just down and out, and you know, suicidal and depressed," get over it. That's a lot harder to deal with than someone saying, guess what? You have this, you know, disorder, and if you do this and this and this, you, you'll be better. And that's what they were saying to us, um, and we didn't get better. I didn't get better. It took me years and years. And, it, and it, there is a, an earlier line in the poem. Nancy says, for 10 years, I lived mostly on psych wards, and nothing burnished more than my overestimated connection to grief. And so... Is is that another moment of autobiography where you're saying this? It is. Yeah, I was in and out of, of psychiatric institutions for quite a while, um, through college and, and after. Um, and yeah, I... Is that when you found writing as well as a I way did to write a lot during s- survive that or to try and understand it when other people weren't able to either, either understand you or, or fix things or... Yeah, yeah. It really is when I started to, um, to yeah, try to understand myself. I, I started writing in journals, and you know, I I took one undergrad um, poetry writing class at the University of Virginia with a great instructor, Lisa Russpar, um, and found out that wow, I really love this. But then I I didn't take any more classes for another ten years or so, you know, until I got my MFA. So. 
it um, was definitely where I is found my voice. Is that because there was, well, that's important. We'll have to come back to that. But is that also, was there a break after Virginia where you moved west and then you were in yes. Colorado and San Francisco? That's and, right. Okay. Bef- before I went back to grad school, yeah, I lived out west. And so, and so you were looking for something when you went west. I was. A lot of times I was looking for crack. But <laughs> okay. Well, let's take a short yeah. break and then we'll come back. Okay. okay? Um, we're talking today with Nancy K. Pearson, her latest, well, her first and latest collection, Two Minutes of Light. We'll be back. listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today on the program, we've got Nancy K. Pearson and her book, Two Minutes of Light. Um, thanks to Hugh Stimson for engineering the marvel, Hugh Stimson. <laughs> um, and so, okay, so we've, we've been talking, we talked really briefly, Nancy, didn't we, about like these ideas of writing with the lyric I, and in right. some ways confessional because I wonder if confessional things just also mean like a people put that on there if there's some rawness of language mm-hmm. or imagery I think so I think or, I think it first got started I, I feel like the term has or had a sort of a pejorative sense because you're talking about taboo subjects and the goal of the poem was to, to confess instead of making art or making a craft. So, but couldn't that also be art then? It's but I think there's art. both to it. Yes. And I think I would like to take back the, you know, 
the term or the genre or whatever you want to call it confessional because they are confessional and um i hope that that but it's not just you're not just confessing right you're making it into craft and art yes shaping it right it's yes right so and it seems like i would say that almost anything that you're you're creating really could be seen as some sort of confession, even if it's masked in different ways. Because That's right. It's what you're, what you're present, what's in your subconscious or your mind or whatever's driving you anyway. It's not like that you'll escape that. Right. No right. matter how you're creating it on the page. That's true. <laughs> some, I think maybe confessional um, people use it more when it's like very taboo subject, or, you know, mm. So, and these are tough, gritty, you know, subject, subjects in here. So, yes, because there, there's see early scenes with a stepfather where mm-hmm. there's, there's, um, betrayal with, and transgression. Um, and then, well, why don't, why don't we hear another poem? Nancy, sure. so people can hear what your work is saying. Okay. And I'll, I'll read a grittier poem then. This is really not light reading, is it? (laughs) (laughs) No. Settle in, everyone. (laughs) Turn up the radio dial. (laughs) All right. I'll read a couple stanzas um, from a poet, from a poem called um, From the Motel by the Hour. Because how many, how many of the sections are there? There are six total. um, And so I will read just a couple. Sounds good. Right. This is the second stanza. Strung out, Silva and I need a bump. The wind, spring-loaded and snap-buckling through the cypress, creeps in, splinters the stash thin across the motel floor. We are crawling and picking through the carpet. Silva says, stop pushing my head down, Reggie. My knees got seeds matched in them. Night is a rerun, rerun. Fight over a pebble high that long five minutes. Reggie watches us buck and kiss. Silva on the floor again. Stop pushing my head down, Reg. The shag hooks her silver hoop, ear snagged and hanging off like old fish bait. Stuck down there, someone just cover her up. Three. Silva's in the hallway bathroom. She's clawing up her face again. Reggie is laughing real loud. Silva, you a goddamn pooler now. I don't want to see her face. Her skin peeling off her cheekbone. Pores torn bigger. A face on hinges. I'm high and I want to feel her tits. Put my mouth on her hard nipples. Fuck, Reggie's laughing. I don't want to think about the scabs. The other night, me with my panties twisted up in my crack, biting down hard on her, getting up quickly with blood in my teeth, peeing in the free-standing sink in the middle of the room, my thighs shaking like the hind legs of a dog. Thank you, Nancy. Um, so in this long poem, you also you introduce characters Reggie and Silva. That's right. And they, they surface uh, in the towards the end of the book too that's right the very last poem um yeah i go back to silva and reggie and so and why why is that because are 
are they some characters then that are combinations of, or they they have a special meaning that stand for, um, this the like a time in your in your life when you were. Yeah, um, they're actually um, they're these characters that um, it's based on real characters that I actually met um, when I lived in San Francisco, and you know I was at. I was very de- when I moved out to San Francisco. I was I had hit rock bottom, and I started. Um, I was doing you know some hard drugs there, and I quickly became homeless. And so I was living with and around these people um, in you know an abandoned motel. Um, and so Sylvan Reggie. Um, in fact, I think I the name Reggie it was a real name. Um, Silva, I made up, but she was a real person. Um, and I didn't, you know, I was lucky. I had friends and family who um, eventually, you know, helped me out and got me out of there. And I moved moved home for a while and, you know, haven't been back. I've been back to San Francisco, but back since, you know, to that lifestyle. And um, so the last poem goes back I'm back in San Francisco after having you know given up the crack and healed myself and you know gotten back on my feet and and there they are still there um you know and is that a true thing like is that a moment of truth or is that a moment of imagined truth for the the teller of this like what this story is yeah, in the collection that's definitely an imagined truth that they're still there they're they are kind of you know they they signify people who don't have um, the help they need to get out of that sort of that life. You know, I'm, I'm I feel very blessed and lucky that that I had family to help. But most of the, like Reggie's family was all in. They were all homeless as well and on drugs, and so they didn't have any resources. So I'm imagining them back where they are. You know, would you like to read that poem? Uh, sure. Too, because we've, I feel like we've alluded to it a couple of times now. Sure. So that would be great. And this is the final moment in the collection. You chose this poem as the last. I did, and I really liked it. It actually has a, um, you know, a, a quote from the Bible, consider the lilies of the field. And I just thought it was a nice way to, um, to end the book. So consider the lilies of the field. Years ago, I slept on the sidewalks in the tenderloin a summer junkie selling baking soda crack to college boys. Every day the fog cribs in, the blue gum cypress sleep underwater, and I do not feel a drop. I am 30 now. Still, Silva and Reggie use their cake brown fingers all day twisting baggies behind Ms. Brown's feed bag. Silva keeps her teeth in her scarf. I write all day and into the violet night, my heart soaked through. All my life, I've been vain in my grief. Meanwhile, the thin-skinned lilies hold more than their weight of water deep in the perpetually shedding forest. They toil not, neither do they spin. Thank you. You're welcome. I love that part with the thin-skinned lilies um, hold more than their weight of water. That's That's such a powerful image because lilies, you know, are so quiet or in some ways deathly too or so mm-hmm. but then that they're, they're they seem so fragile, fragile. Yes. yeah and and yet yeah that's I do that a lot with nature you know in my work I I do you want to talk it. about that the nature element in in the 
yeah, because you started to. So why did I cut Um, you off, for God's sake? I can briefly talk about it. It's something that's so... um, Nature and and spirituality are very connected for me. And so sometimes when I'm talking about like a lily or a fiddler crab or, you know, whatever, I feel like I'm talking about God. And so it's very hard to talk about. Um, But nature is a way of talking about it is a way of talking about God. Yeah. And and nature's kind of sort of my religion. And and this is um, it's my way of getting perspective um, in my poems, you know of when I start to feel sorry for myself or, you know, I I say I've been vain in my grief, you know, I was really just (laughs) wallowing in my own self-pity for so long. And, you know, when you look around, you know, nature doesn't do that. You know, it's, it, it puts everything, you know, it writes everything, the ocean, the trees. So I use it as a, as a way to, I, I think, write myself when I feel upside down um, or when my poems feel upside down too. Um, Nature's always popping up, you know. I think Mary Oliver, I remember, you know, really was really influenced by Mary Oliver um, who lives on the Cape where I live, so... Do you so have you have you been taking walks and then taking them and taking walks and then say hello Mary? <laughs> she walks at six in the morning and I'm never up that early. But so, not with study but, guides, but no. right, right. <laughs> <She's> not. <laughs> I shout out to her sometimes. Yes, <laughs> Mary the wild geese. <laughs> exactly. You know, and and it's fun to parody her work and stuff. But she is brilliant, and um, oh, I yeah, I see is. her she you is. know wild geese in her blackwater ponds and her snakes every. Where I go, you know, since she she writes about Provincetown and the Cape, it's strange. But um, oh, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, and Mark Doty too. He was there, and so whenever I read him, I'm I, I feel like I live in, in a very blessed poetic place. That it's and you do. It would seem. I've I not really been there, it. but it seems. Oh, you should come visit. Oh, thank you. I think I will. <laughs> now I've invited myself over. No, that's okay. Don't worry, Nancy. Room. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to do in the winter, so please come visit. Okay. I'll, I'll entertain you guys. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Nancy K. Pearson is here, and we'll be back.
Hi, you're listening to Living Writers on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and uh, we have Nancy K. Pearson here today. Um, Her book, Two Minutes of Light. So, Nancy, um, you just read read us two, two sections from the motel by the hour. Right. And, um, in the break, you and I just briefly had mentioned, um, is that your book is dedicated to two people. That's right. Um, and one, one is your namesake, I, I believe. That's if I'm right. My the aunt, right. um, my aunt Nancy. Yes. And, and, and to Elizabeth. Right. So, my partner. So to, to, two um, very important people. And then you, and you have a poem, my namesake is dying. That's right. Um, which seems like it, it takes, um, like that takes a certain kind of, uh, risk to write. Like it's a, it's a hard poem to write. Um, I would think. And then, um, from the motel by the hour, um, that seems like it also, because of somehow like the honesty of it, uh, well, it's always, well, that's all I was going to say. It's always hard to be honest. That makes it sound like I'm some sort of reprobate or no, something I, like, um, <laughs> well, I think what's, um, writing the poems themselves, it wasn't hard for me to write the poems, like writing, uh, my namesake is dying about my aunt who, um, I wrote it about her dying and I actually wrote it pretty, um, pretty soon after she died. You know, I kind of kept notes and stuff. I, I, I watched her die, you know, and she died at home. Um, so, you know, that, that was the writing was of course much easier than living through it. Um, and then the, you know, from the motel by the hour that I wrote long after I had been, you know, in San Francisco living on the streets. And, and that was a short live. The time in San Francisco was a very short amount of time in my life. It seemed like forever, but you know, I got out pretty quickly. Um, so in a but, way you could feel disconnected in the writing of that. It was more almost like telling it the yes, story, but not in it. It felt very much. I, I feel very disconnected from the motel by the hour. Um, in fact, I had, I went back to San Francisco just to kind of get a, f- when I was in the middle of writing this, just to get a feel again of what it looked like and felt like and brought back a lot, you know, of feelings, memories, associations, um, and I, it was at one point starting a memoir and it, it had kind of started at that point in my life in San Francisco too. And so I got all kinds of ideas and then I abandoned the memoir thing. But, um, why is that? Why? Um, I think because, you know, I don't just want to write a story about my life just for the sake of look, look what I survived or look what I did. Um, but is that what it feels like? That's what it felt like while I was writing the memoir and that's not that I don't want that um I have no interest in doing that um because that doesn't seem to be art in a way no that doesn't feel like art and I don't and I hope my poems don't do that that's not why I wrote them you know I wanted to create something um but the memoir felt very gratuitous and just um it didn't feel good and Unless I have something more to say in a different perspective on my life that's not, um, oh, no, like, you know, this million little pieces kind of story, I, I don't want to write it. You know, I'd rather not have it out there. Um, and I was encouraged to write it because it's an interesting story, you know, the hospitals and the this and that. 
but I need. But I in need a way, that could be a way in. But that almost seemed um, because that and that seems important, like studying that time, like you said earlier about the '90s, and it's things were fads, and that's right. That and I'm very interested in that part of of my life and how it would. Um, kind of historically how you know going back and researching more and putting that putting be, it in there but that would also be sort of re-entering a darkness it too. would it would be and i have to be careful about that you know um but but you know i wasn't interested in girl interrupted you know that kind of thing and so you know i had <laughs> was saying that that also was starting yeah, to yeah. i thought oh um <laughs> I want I want to create great art, you know, and I, I'm moving a little bit away f- away from autobiography and into something else, and I'm not sure what that is yet. But back to the the writing, the writing itself is wasn't wasn't hard. The the namesake is dying. Um, that it's it's such I love to write. So it doesn't, it feels hard in the sense that it takes work and, you know, you get frustrated and 13 drafts later, you don't have what you, you know, you want, but emotionally it lifts me up. It really, you know, that sounds like a song, love lifts, right? Love lifts you up where you belong. And I think my friend. I think it's a duet. I think I have to it, say it is sing a something duet. now. Now, now you have Eagles to sing. And a friend flying. of mine. Um, Buffy St. Marie. Oh, right, right. <laughs> A friend of mine put that in his poem, too. It was either Matthew or Michael Dickman. I'm not sure which. Michael Dickman, friend of the show. Yes. Uh, was it in his nobles. poem? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was great, great people, great yeah. poets. Well, you probably met in Provincetown. Yes, we well. were there together <laughs> at the Fine Arts Work Center. And I think his brother might have had it in a poem. Oh. Um, probably. Anyway, it does <laughs> lift me up. Um, what is hard, though, was when the book came out, having people read it, that I knew would be upset or, you know, having your mother, you know, open up the, the crack pages or, um, my uncle reading the stuff about, you know, my aunt dying and that, that stuff was, was, I was very frightened. (laughs) So, so, but but you, but you still were able to do it. I did it. So what is, what is that like then? It didn't stop you. You were able to write the poems. You were able to put them into the public sphere. I I sure did. I I just I I said, "What the heck? I'm going to do this." And actually it worked out. My mother has been great. She thinks the work is beautiful. It's some some of it's hard for her. Um but she's very supportive. My uncle as well. My father loves the poems. Um you know, not everyone likes the poems, but my family's been very supportive. So and so that is that is interesting, isn't it? Because it you is. think that there's you can't wait till everyone dies before you say some things th- that are true. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And um, so I I was pleasantly surprised with their reaction, you know. And and beyond my immediate family, I really don't care, you know. <laughs> if my fifth cousins down in you know the the swamp want to you know (laughs) say something bad about my work whatever you know so chances are you won't hear it anyway exactly yeah (laughs) if something's said in the swamp poems it won't get to me on cape cod (laughs) the wind can't carry it that far that's right um i think it's i think it's interesting because in this poem too nancy you say um like let's pretend I don't exist. You cannot see me, and it's like these things again that you're sort of saying. Uh, the voice is saying that's not 
putting them in the best, like not putting the the, the voice in the best light too. So you, it's it, right. I'm it, stealing Percocet and hiding from the family. You know, I'm not nursing my ailing and the, you know, and relative. Yes, but 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 showing also a way of kind of coping in the world. Like you're you're saying that and. Uh, and the moment of taking the photo too, because there's something like where you're taking it from your uncle, but it's because this photo, it just seems, I don't know, even though it's being taken, it seems like somehow the vo- you're still on the voice's side, like the voice should take it. Thank you. I, I hope that I hope <laughs> I, I'm speaking abstractly sh- now. People are like, why didn't you read that poem, guys? <laughs> well, I'll have to buy the book. No. <laughs> Not ex- to plug my book. Exactly. No, it's. I think it's it's a it's a worthy plug to make now. Two minutes of light, and which will be at Shaman Drum. That's and, right. And probably Borders, I'd imagine, and um, Amazon. Amazon always, you know, check it out online, uh, and Perugia Press. Uh, a good a, a good press to support. Very good press. Doing interesting work. One book a year. That's right. And the editor, Susan Can puts you know her life into your book once you're selected for the award. And you can see the care, really, that what they what they create is a is a, a lovely product. Yeah, too. their books are are, are beautiful. Um, getting back to there's like we've been talking about like the that there's there's grittiness. And there's yes. there's pain and there's um, like you're talking about betrayal and, and loss and but then there's also these great moments of humor too and is that um, where where are they okay <laughs> let me quote you one I've got it right here well I I was well you know what you're right it's there's not a lot of moments of humor in this book but I like so to I think they have a sense of humor. <laughs> No, you do. Yeah. But, um, okay, hopefully this was intentional, right? Because okay. otherwise now I've just really gone and done it. Um, humming the Double Mint song. Oh, right. So right. when I turned to this page, I suddenly thought, huh, you know, uh, this is... And the first line is just great. Again, with this voice, this voice that you've come to, to know many things about, right? Um, the first line... Well, why don't you read it? Because you're here, Nancy. Do you want me to read the first line or first stanza? Sure, that would be great. Okay, humming the double mint song. What with dancing with the stars canceled, we surf for a series on giant squid, instead are hooked by a countdown of celebrity meltdowns. Yeah, like that's really great. Ah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because, you know, it's it's just so... um, it is so so funny. What with you know, dancing with the stars canceled, and it's such a moment in time like that that roots it to a very specific right. time in American television history. <laughs> right, <I think>. right. <laughs> Where almost everybody that I knew was talking about that program, no matter what their other interests in life were. And I thought, well, I should look at it. So I watched it once to see yeah. what people were saying. But I've only seen it a few times. The giant That's, squid thing actually what? was an obsession with um, some of the fellows at the Fine Arts Work Center. Yes, and I thought I had to put it in a poem. It might the giant squid might show up on, in various stories by by different fellows. Um, well, and I know actually my friend Phoebe, who was was also there with Michael right. Stickman, she already had a story about giant squid that she was working on at Michigan. Hooray! So. Maybe, for giant squid. Maybe she brought it to Provincetown. Maybe, maybe she started it. Maybe she was the um, squid phenomenon maker. Yeah. But it's so good that you... Well, I'll have to definitely look to see, you know, where's this, the giant squid in other people's 
work coming out of Provincetown. That's right. Is, is it? Do you feel like you have a real community of writers after spending those those? Cons- I do. I really do. I feel like I have a great community in Provincetown. Um, Salvatore Scubona's there. Um, friend of the show. That's right. Friend of the show. There are lots of uh, Roger Skillings. There are a lot of poets who come back there um, and a lot of poets who, who have stayed there. But I also feel like I have now I have a community or I have links in almost every city and state, you know, in the U.S., including, you know, Australia and England because of the work center. You know, here I am staying on my friend Mike's couch. He was a fellow, um, had his students read, you know, my book. So so wherever I go. Will you go to the class, Nancy, and speak with them? Yes, I will. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that's I sure will. So I have great friends through the work center. Um, We all keep each other going, you know. It's important, it seems like, with the the writing life. It, it is important. Like it, it's it the can... first time I felt like I was doing something legitimate. Like, I didn't have to decide what I was going to be. Finally, I was like, okay, I'm a writer. This is who I am. I don't need to say, I think I want to be a lawyer. Lie. You know, <laughs> this is, you know, it legitimized what I was doing by That's being the at the work center. your next book. <laughs> I think I want to be a lawyer. Lie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank for you so much for program. having me here. This has been great fun. I look forward to seeing what's next, your next projects. And um, you've been listening to Living Writers. Um, today on the program, Nancy K. Pearson, her book, Two Minutes of Light. Thank you for listening. Ann Arbor streaming from Florida, Chicago, Seattle, wherever you are. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. WCDN Sports, where Michigan basketball happens. Now it's right off a screen. Douglas, NBA range. Three! Stu Douglas, Michigan wins. 18 seconds, the differential between the game and shot clock. Michigan holding a two-point lead, trying to get it. Oh, back door! Sims! He slams it! Oh, baby! Four-point game, there's still 28 points. Slam it home to Sean! Boy, four point game, 20 seconds still left. Plenty of time for UCLA. Here's Keith, top of the key. Holiday in the near quarter. Michigan cannot allow a three here. Holiday, low baseline. Passing wildly out of bounds. 14.1 to go. And now Michigan can sense it. Long outlet pass into the hands of Collison in the front court. Collison has it. Tough three, partially blocked. Bogan. A shocker in New York City. Michigan knocks off the number four team of the country. And they'll get Duke tomorrow night for a 2K Sports Classic Championship.
And good of you to spend part of your Wednesday with us here on the DSR, fourth day of March, 2009. We'll take you here till 5.30. Rob Salmon and Rushi Vias. And we'll start life on the bubble for Michigan. Now just three days from the play-out game. Again, not a play-in game, play-out game. More of an elimination game. Michigan and Minnesota at the barn high noon on Saturday. And just 11 days from selection Sunday in Rushi. News excellent yesterday for Michigan without even playing. Their NCAA tournament hopes improve Georgetown unless they make grand and probably the contingency factor is unless any of these teams make a lengthy run in their conference tournaments, especially one of those Big East teams because they're going to have to win five times in five days. But Georgetown loses in overtime to St. John's last night. They're now 6-11 and in the Big East, so they are in major, major trouble. Also in the Big East last night, Cincinnati loses out South Florida pretty convincingly. So they're in big-time trouble, and everybody was talking about the Big East getting nine teams setting the record. They're going to be lucky to get eight right now. Providence has a big game. Uh, They would be that eighth team this weekend in Villanova. And Ohio State barely won. I would have three at the buzzer to win that game. Ohio State probably pretty secure now with that win. New Mexico had a good win last night against Utah. They're still in the bubble out of that wild and wacky Mountain West. So for the most part, a couple, and we saw Oklahoma State beat Kansas State and then a battle of bubble teams in the Big 12. So a lot of good things for Michigan last night. And again, I wrote a blog post yesterday breaking down all the different bubble teams, and I was a little concerned about